Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the uh, weekly update here on a Friday morning broadcast. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning. It seems like we were just here. <laughs> Hope you had a wonderful Yantif. Yes, Nothing like the unity of the holiday of Shavuos, huh? Hopefully appreciated by all. Oh, I hope so. Uh, so much has gone on. I feel somewhat prophetic. I uh, I don't know if it was last Friday or the Friday before that. I said something, you'll recall, about the quiet times. How all of a sudden, when the Secretary of State of the U.S. is out of the headlines, and we don't hear much about what's going on in terms of the peace talks, uh, that always seems to be a dangerous time to me. We know what happened back in 1993 when all of a sudden the Oslo Accords and all the secret meetings came to light. It shocked a lot of people. Well, now we are shocked that uh, both the United States and the European Union are accepting the Fatah Hamas government, what I guess most people would refer to as the PA. Malcolm, you know that the Israeli government has reacted quite angrily to this acceptance and the speed with which they accepted it. What could you tell us about the American attitude now, Washington's attitude toward the Palestinian Authority? Well, this is a very complicated uh, matter, so just a few words of background as well about what really is at stake in this decision and how it ties into the visit of Secretary Kerry to Lebanon, where he announced another half billion dollars in aid when Hezbollah is a part of that government. So the law that Congress passed and that the President signed and passed that uh, establishes we will not fund any terrorist entity or any government with a terrorist entity into it is being compromised and has been compromised. And we're seeing it now in regard to this uh, fiction that's been created of a technocrat government um, and the rush to, to recognize, had they simply said that they will deal with the government and watch them and then decide on aid, right. I think Israel's reaction would have been much more muted. Yep. The fact that they put the priority on giving the aid, uh, announcing the aid, obviously Congress is preparing to move against it. Kay Granger, the chairman of the Appropriations uh, Subcommittee, uh, others, Nita Lowy, who's a key member of that, key Democratic member, have expressed their uh, reservations, their opposition, their uh, uh, concerns about it, as have many other members on both sides. And the question is whether they'll come to a full showdown or will something else be worked out that would enable them to somehow continue uh, to provide some sort of assistance. Now, the, uh, we have to remember Hamas has announced they will not give up their weapons. They have 20,000 trained military uh, personnel and security personnel they have uh, a huge infrastructure of, of uh, missiles and other weapons, advanced weapons, which they say well, they will not put under the control of the PA, and that their uh, brigades, the um, Al-Qassam brigades, will continue to be, they called it a powerful resistance, meaning that they'll continue their activities from Gaza, in addition to having Islamic Jihad and other groups that have been allowed to flourish. Uh, they have maybe five, 6,000 members. There are thousands in some of the other groups. And Hamas is ex, uh, exploiting this deal not as a means to put Gaza under the PA's control and under Fatah control, as was asserted, but in fact for them to be able to operate now out of the West Bank and, and Hamas activities are going largely unchecked by PA security 
which used to close them down. They did arrest five Hamas guys last night in, in raids for, for their activities. So despite this uh, seeming uh, marriage, uh, there's still a lot of tensions and uh, clear uh, disputes like 70,000 people were paid by Fatah in Gaza for the last seven years for not working. These were their employees in Gaza, 70,000. Guess who paid that bill? <laughs> 40,000 Hamas guys now who are out of work because the Hamas structure was closed down and put under the PA are now demanding that they get paid. Right. So you're talking about 110,000 people being paid for doing nothing. Yeah, but I don't bl- of them are working. Yeah, but I don't blame Hamas for any uh, of them. I'm not, I'm not putting yeah. blame. I'm just telling you what, what the issues, how complicated no, it is. No, that's what makes people it. People have, have glossed over the significance. Right. Of, of what they're doing now in the refugee camps, what they're doing in other areas. Well, that's what makes this whole thing so hard to believe, and, hard and the speed with which it was done people, so hard to believe. But people, the way the press largely has expressed this, has talked about this, has put the onus on Israel right. for, for rejecting what no U.S. government, I think, would have accepted or, or, or would, have, in principle, have accepted in the past. But how could Israel not be in that position and, when Washington has taken this direction? Well, no, Israel has to do because Israel makes the decision, not because of what America does. Israel's reaction to America is uh, is significant because of the points of these points. No, I agree, but Israel is in, a, is in a situation where if the United States takes this position, of course they're going to look like the bad guys. They're going to look like they're not going along and not cooperating with American, you know, the new American policy. They're in a terrible position, Israel. Well, they don't have to look at it. If, if, uh, if the media were objective, they would. They would be presenting the facts, you know, that the U.S., it came out now, has been holding secret back-channel talks with Hamas for the last six months. This, according to American and Palestinian officials, even though the State Department spokeswoman said that there were there were no such back-channels, but the people who, who were supposedly eyewitnesses to it are, are uh, saying that this has uh, been going on. And the, the uh, another point where the hypocrisy becomes clear is Abbas, in, and in the quartet uh, principles, they accept a demilitarized Palestinian state. But Gaza is not demilitarized, right. and that's not going to change. So already we violated even the, the fundamental uh, requirements that the United States and the West have put. And by the way, it's not just the U.S., it's all the Europeans and everybody right. else as well. That's why, that's why the media follows, because they see the, uh, the all-powerful U.S., and the European countries, experts in this area of how to deal with terrorists and at what point to negotiate and when not to and things like that, they're going ahead and recognizing this new PA government. And the U.S. then comes back and says, well, Israel transferred uh, money. The tra- the, right, um, they kept the payments going. Right. On last Sunday right. uh, to, the, to the PA. So if they transfer yeah. money, why can't we? And we will now watch it. The answer is that Israel had an obligation that was money that had been committed before, and it goes to pay, much of it goes also to take money for the debts that owed to Israel Electric and other things. But, uh, you know, they, they, they look for any out to try and shift the onus back to Israel, and the uh, now the question to fight will be over U.S. aid, and, uh, and the question that Palestinians are saying now that the unity is a prerequisite to a peace process, but how can you have the peace process 
because Hamas will, will remain armed and will always be uh, refused to, to give up its goal of eradicating Israel. You got to Who's behind this? And I know that sometimes this puts you in an uncomfortable position, but so many people are so curious. Is it Obama, the president? Is it Kerry? Is it somebody else? Is it prominent members of Congress? Who is behind this move to recognize this brand new PA this quickly? Well, I mean, I wasn't in on the discussions, but I would have to say that no decision of this magnitude goes without White House approval, uh, and I assume the president's involvement, but I don't know that. Uh, and certainly Secretary Kerry uh, was involved because the announcement was made by the State Department, not by uh, the White House. And, and the, one of the explanations, I think, that need to be demanded is that Hamas is, is Iran. It's their front. Yep. Um, and Hezbollah is... And the U.S. has said that, by the way. The U.S. has acknowledged that, has that they're a proxy of Iran. Here, Iran was pulling back because they were angry at them about their role in Syria, so their economic conditions were near collapse, and and what you're doing is giving them a new lifeline, right, To the and, and in addition, giving Hamas the link into the into Yudon Shamron and those other areas, uh, and the, the reconciliations between Hamas and Iran have been uh, resurgent over the last uh, year, the last month. Uh, since the the very shaky thing, so why are we giving them an additional thing? As as in Lebanon, where Hezbollah, I don't know if you saw the announcement that they they're creating a Hezbollah in Syria, and and Secretary Kerry goes there to congratulate the new prime minister, which is okay, but then to announce aid and to to treat that government, and this is the model for Hamas. They say we will Hezbollah ourselves. We will follow the model of right. Lebanon, where you right. can have an, a terrorist organization retain its militia, it'll retain its its forces, be part of a, of a recognized government that the United States provides support to, and the Hamas says, now we'll do the same. So we're not in the government, theoretically, uh, or ostensibly, but in fact, are an integral part of it. Great point. Great point. It's all in the, it's all in the costume. It's all in the proper dressing up, and they'll, they'll, they'll dress up like an organization that the U.S. has already been dealing with. And they're saying bullets and ballots will gain them the foothold now. Bullets and ballots, so that they are, you know, moving in the same direction. And we've seen this in the past. Uh, I think that the divisions will will uh, come more and more forward. I think that you will see more problems, uh, especially if aid is is held up. Uh, but even if not, I think just the 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 interests of the two parties are, if they are being honest, are inimical. We don't know whether Abbas at eight seventy nine is ready for another confrontation where he will will come down. And this. Because the Egyptians have been so touched on Hamas, they were looking for this lifeline. And all of a sudden, they get it, and in a way, that takes all the onuses off them, all the burdens of the economic debt, the other things that they had, and the poor uh, political, geopolitical position they were in, and now links them into the middle of, of, uh, of the West Bank. How blindsided was Prime Minister Netanyahu on all this? Look, there were discussions and uh, that had gone on, but I think um, uh, that on the on the, that his understanding, even as late as Sunday, from comments he made in discussions we had uh, with various people in Israel, was that the U.S. would not rush to recognize and certainly not rush to aid. That they would say we can work with them. We'll see. We'll, we'll wait uh, on aid uh, on and continue foreign aid till we see how they deliver. And I think on that side he was blindsided uh, or not not uh, given a, a heads up as to exactly what was going to be told. Although 
some U.S. officials say, in fact, that they were made aware of uh, of what the announcement was going to be. So the only thing you could figure is that somehow Secretary of State Kerry convinced Washington that there's some peace opportunity that's going to fade away if they don't go ahead and, and uh, proceed with this recognition. Well, there is a... Uh, no, I, I don't think he did it on the basis of, uh, of peace. I think he, he did it on the basis that if no aid goes forward to the PA and the PA collapses, then the burden falls on Israel. Mm. Not only will you have a rise of violence and an end of the security cooperation, which, by the way, continues throughout this period, right. uh, but also Israel, in, on, as many say under international law, would be obligated to do it. Others say that it's not, but that they would pe- have to pick up the pieces you know, to sustain or that it would not be in their interest to see a collapse. I think it's something Israelis would say, too and have uh, have uh, complete chaos there. It's very it's always hard to predict, but the next couple of weeks are going to be really hard to predict, right? Is Secretary of State Kerry going to make an effort to try to get everybody back to a table? Is Israel going to be very stubborn in terms of trying to acquiesce to any of this because of what just happened? Look, Israel can't at this point sit down and and talk to to this uh, new government not after the positions that it's taken, nor would they. Uh I think uh in, in under any of the circumstances I can think of. So we'll have to see how this plays out. Uh, you know, Israel announced that they're going to build some more. I'm not sure that it's smart to make that a punishment, but uh, I think that uh, the announcement was made to meant to catch everybody's attention, which it did, and everybody's condemnation, uh, which I'm sure will be debated about how wise the timing or what, what they do. Uh, but Israel has limited things that they can do. They don't want to stop security cooperation because that hurts Israel and Israel is still responsible for all the uh, a lot of the security um, the major security operations in the Judea and Samaria and in West Bank are made by Israeli troops mm-hmm. uh, because the uh, Hamas didn't want to and they didn't want to go after Hezbollah, uh, uh, Hamas uh, people directly so the, uh, the PA let Israel Essentially, take the lead on some of these. Things. Yeah, just, just to, using the way the, the way the news media uses the terms in the vernacular to make this clear. Uh, if in fact we don't want settlement building to be linked to the peace process, then we shouldn't be linking "quote unquote" settlement building to you know to punishments regarding uh, you know acts or non acts on the other side. Right? Is that essentially? What you're saying? If we if we try to, I think something that has to be considered very carefully. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at ninety one point nine on the FM dial and around the world in the web jnn.org. It's a Friday, believe it or not. Weekly update. Malcolm Honeline with us on this Friday morning broadcast. Once the U.S. did what it did. Uh, it was really easy for the EU and maybe even others, you could tell us, uh, to follow suit, right? It was nothing for them at that point once the U.S. had committed, correct? Well, they, they were, I don't think they were waiting to hear it. Yeah, understood, but it makes it, but it makes yes, it even easier. Right. Had the, I think, the United States held back, they may have uh, taken a more moderate position. Right. But the idea that business as usual can go on is a mistake. And it, and it, you know, it's not, it's not just in this regard. It's in regard to so many of the issues when you see what um, Khamenei said at the rally for the 25th anniversary, I think, of the death of his predecessor, predecessor Khamenei. And, you know, we talk about being able to work with him, and here they come out with this blast 
against the United States with signs about the destruction of, of the U.S. His speech is a complete denunciation, I'm sure Israel as well, but uh, says that the United States has given up the military option. And the U.S. and the, they took the speech at, um, at West Point and other things as, uh, as substantiating uh, that, that position. So, you know, we always have to think about how does the other side hear or think of what we do. And, and that can be whether it's the most innocent act and sometimes necessary or, you know, just things that are done without considering the full consequences of, of the action. And, and we're seeing all these things growing. What I mentioned about the Hezbollah in Syria is, to me, a very serious new front. It's a new, a new issue that will confront Israel, but also the U.S., the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, because they say this is now Iran's new front. And if you remember, several years ago, I reported that the Iranians talk about their new defensive line being the Golan Heights. And then nothing happened. Everybody let it slip away. And all of a sudden, there's this announcement that Hezbollah now will not just operate out of Lebanon, and he said, you know, the Zionists were always concerned about threats from the Lebanese border, now should prepare itself for a new situation on the Golan. And there was a statement made uh, last month, again, not getting any attention, that uh, by, um, uh, his name is Eskandari, he's the senior commander of the Iran Revolutionary Guards, that they had trained 42 battalions and 138 brigades to fight in Syria. He said, this is our war against the United States is on Syrian soil. And he says now that they have 130,000 Basiji, uh, these paramilitary terror, terrorists, have been trained and are waiting to enter Syria. Now, all of our efforts to try and counter it and to, to, to get some stability or to support the other side, which is certainly in question about you know, where the aid that we go to, that every time we send arms, the West sends arms, it ends up in the hands of the worst guys. Right. Here you have a whole new front emerging out of this. So Iran claims victory in Assad's victory. That was certainly in their interest uh, that he win, but even if he didn't, they would not have in, uh, diminished their presence there because they have made this, they have staked their ground there. And the West just thinks about how can we pour more money in. I'm not against it. I think wish we had done more constructive things earlier on, right. but it, 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 to me, this is a, a whole new front that we, we, we almost don't hear any concern about, just as if you remember, for, how many, for two years we talked about the foreign fighters in Syria who are going to come back and terrorize the United States, Europe, others, because they carry passports from those countries. Now, all of a sudden, the European Union, the G7 meeting, this week, starts taking up how we, they could coordinate and deal with this, uh, this new threat, uh, fundamental threat to the security of people in, in the West, in Europe, in the United States, Canada, many other countries. Um, in some ways, the Hezbollah in Syria, just speaking militarily for a moment, Hezbollah in Syria um, is not, how do I put this? The Lebanese border, the entire Lebanese border with Israel, and we've seen this in the past, is a, is a potential area, God forbid, for a strike against Israel. So now militarily, the presence in Syria simply expands the potential of a strike against Israel. It, it utilizes the, uh, the Golan Heights area the same way that the northern border you know, from Lebanon was being utilized? Yes, and, and remember that the, the Syrian army now it does not represent a real threat because they are so... Um, so uh, uh, involved in their internal things, they've been demoralized, they've been depleted. 
So the Syrian army doesn't really represent the threat. It's the presence of all these terrorist groups which have increasingly moved in, including al-Qaeda, into uh, adjacent areas to the Golan and into the Golan in some cases. Uh, this poses a threat to Jordan, which has been screaming and yelling of late about this as well, and, uh, of course, to Israel. They have been careful, except for straight uh, mortar shells and bullets and maybe one or two deliberate attempts that we saw recently when they fired from Lebanon and Israel fired back. Um, some stray shells hit Israel yesterday, but they didn't because it was clear that it wasn't it wasn't meant to hit Israel. Um, but they have they've been building up some presence that Israel has reported and warned about and has taken some limited actions in response to. But this would be a, a major escalation of that danger, exactly as you said. Uh, a couple of things outside of Israel I wanted to ask you about. Uh, first of all. Uh, the debate about whether this gunman in Brussels acted alone or not, what are your feelings uh, in terms of what's been uh, uncovered so far in that case? Well, we haven't had access to any of the files or reports other than what the, has been made public. Uh, but even if he acted alone, he wasn't trained alone. He, he, he looks clearly like he wasn't Syria and that this would be just the, the vanguard of what we might see happening over and over again. There were other arrests that were made because somebody uh, likely knew about it or aided and abetted him. Well, can there be lone wolves? There can be. But we always find out that there was some influence, somebody who, who was involved who, or some connection, whether it's the training in prison. Or that, or, and now they're, they're talking about you know, dealing with the problem that the French prisons and German prisons and others have become breeding grounds for Islamic uh, extremism because these young Muslims who may get arrested for anything and are put in jail are then radicalized while they're there by an imam, by a, by a people, a group of uh, activists. And it's true in our own prison system, in the American prison system. And still not enough is being done here. Oh, no question about that. And everybody wants to know what you think of the uh, Bergdahl prisoner exchange, uh, the great debate about whether this exchange should have taken place. What are your observations about it? Well, the one thing I really object to is that the rush to say, well, Israel does it. How come whatever else Israel does, we don't hear that being cited as a model for, for what the United States should do or does? And the fact that uh, today in the Times they have a write-up and people saying, well, Israel has engaged in, in uh, things. Every situation is different. And I understand the humanitarian side. I understand if you see the film, uh, even Mark Kirk and other Republican senators who came away, after seeing the film, and supposedly there was a death, death threat against uh, him about why the United States would move, but releasing five terrorists and uh, the past history of countries, and especially a country like Qatar, uh, to be trusted with this is certainly questionable. Do you think that the president's going to be able to uh, adhere to this timetable in terms of ending the presence in Afghanistan? He may be able to. The question is at what price. That's what people are debating and and, and seeing that the uh, Taliban still exist and that uh, they could they could come back in greater force once the U.S. presence is completely removed, uh, you have to hear what the what the people there say, uh, their concerns about what the aftermath will be. And who becomes the or who are at this point the key countries in terms of trying to keep the Taliban at bay in that area? Well, once we're out, it won't be anybody. I mean, there's no force in. Remember, Iran was involved. Others are involved. This is a, 
a big change for, for, for the region itself, and we will have to see how it plays out. Certainly the model of, our, of Iraq is not a very encouraging one, where we see you know, Iran influence having been expanded and now becoming a staging ground for the ISIS and other groups other terrorist organizations operating in Syria, and they will be operating in Iraq. So you would say the U.S. can leave these areas, but uh, shortly after they'll be back. I don't know if they'll be back, but I, the U.S. may leave, but they won't leave the U.S. alone. And the, the um, pattern that we've seen in the past would support the, those concerns. Wow. Uh, you mentioned last week about Egypt because you had not touched on uh, what was going on in Egypt regarding the elections, etc. Could you update us on that? I was disappointed. I only got 97% of the vote. Huh. It was less than uh, many had thought. Less than anticipated. It was about 47%. It was a little over 50 in 2012. So people said that, you know, that would, people wouldn't come out. And, uh, I mean, we'll have to see how this, what this really means, how he plays it out. Um, but he's, he's the first uh, Egyptian president not to have participated in a war with Israel. And he he uh, he moved to to repair some of the problems in certainly in uh, in Gaza, and he's been very strong in trying to get rid of the of the terrorist organizations operating out of there. And he's going to have to keep a close grip on the Gaza Strip. And he took out most of the tunnels. I mean, he they took definitive action, and he says he will act against the Muslim Brotherhood within Egypt. Uh, the question is, can he then move to balance it and to move the economy forward and the um, and how the relationship with the United States will develop? And the relationship with the Muslim Brotherhood, are they con- what are they considered now in Egypt? Well, he has said that uh, when he becomes president, there will be no more Muslim Brotherhood. I don't think that that's possible, but I do think he will clamp down on them. And I read this story about the uh, a corporation that was selling uh, aircraft parts to Iran. Um, are, are these things taken seriously, Malcolm, where at this point, if, if someone is doing business at this level with Iran, they are going to be um, uh, sanctioned, they're going to be uh, punished um, by the United States? Well, they have, and here the, they deserve credit for the administration in the U.S. For, for the leadership in this area um, in going after companies. There are some who say, you know, that uh, some officials... Uh, have allowed things, the marginal activities or activities that uh, they w- uh, like this to go on. Um, aircraft parts were allowed to be sold, right. and and car parts under the New Deal, be- with the with the Iranians under the understanding because when we less, uh, loosened some of the sanctions, uh, those two areas were permitted. Uh, but the the we know that there are many others who have been involved in. Financing or laundering or other activities using guises where they change the name of ships and they do other things, um, but Iran's economy is certainly in deep trouble. And I think any loosening now before we have a deal would be a huge mistake. That this is the real leverage we have on them, and especially if they don't believe that the military option is a real one, and they continue to engage in uh, all this outrageous activities, the attacks on the United States, the verbal attacks. Of the development, their activities in Iran, their activities around the world in supporting terrorism. The foreign minister turned down an invitation to visit uh, Saudi Arabia, which was remarkable in the first place that Saudi Arabia would even invite him. Uh, the, the United States has a lot of decisions uh, to make about uh, the next steps in, in regard to the P5 plus one. They're going to meet on June 16th. 
But one of the things you don't hear is about the massive violations of human rights, that executions in Iran hit uh, record-breaking levels in 2014. Now it's more than two people are being killed every day. There have been 320 executions in the first five months. Now, this remember, this is under Rouhani, under the more moderate regime. This is not Ahmadinejad. And all the portrayals of this regime as being, you know, more more moderate, this is the real message. Wow. And in all this time, now that we're reflecting back on Normandy and the, uh, you know, the, those who were uh, instrumental in, uh, in fighting for freedom in this world at a very crucial time in history, I'm sure those images are even more poignant when you think about what the world might have to do if they just sit back and let some of these madmen... Uh, you learn the lessons from all the sacrifices made then about it, what were the mistakes that were made in the, in, in the run-up to World War II. But there is a positive note. Australia, yeah. which I meant to mention earlier, dropped the term occupied now in reference to East Jerusalem, to the building in East Jerusalem. Right. They said that this is a term that is derogatory or pejorative, I think, or carries pejorative implications and not appropriate or useful. Let's hope others would do the same. <laughs> I guess a small victory, huh? You, hey, you, look, the, um, <laughs> the Modern Language Association, despite most of the predictions, did not pass the resolution you know, calling for the boycott of Israel. It's actually more complicated than that, but it, it, it is essentially an anti-Israel resolution. And only 6.5% of the 24,000 active members actually voted and uh, 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 voted for the resolution, and 4.5% voted against it. Um, you need 10% for a resolution to pass. Right. So both sides can claim, claim a victory, you know, moral victories, etc. But the fact is that it did not pass, and that is a very important statement. They will certainly try it again, but at least that was an important step. And make. even the Rolling Stones didn't cave into the boycott and, calls. And despite Pink Floyd and others' yeah. uh, pressure to do so, so anybody who contemplates buying a record or, or <laughs> downloading a song with Pink Floyd, think again. But look, in the last two weeks, you had Justin Timberlake with 45,000 people, the Rolling Stones with 50,000 uh, people coming there, performing, adding performance, not succumbing, even though they were criticized uh, for it. So it's very important mm. that those who tweet, tweet or Twitter or Facebook or whatever send positive messages to these guys. Malcolm, you have to start planning your trips around the concert schedule in the Holy Land. I'll tell you that much. Finally, uh, we started with this, of course, the American uh, response uh, to the brand-new PA government and some of the shock that has been felt. What about Israel's neighbors that aren't Syria and Iran? I would assume that Syria and Iran are very happy with this brand-new PA government and the fact that the U.S. is ready to deal with them. But what about Saudi Arabia and Jordan and Egypt? How would you evaluate the way they look at the U.S. reaction to the new PA government? I think to a large degree they see it as Iran uh, getting gaining a greater foothold, that they, they have all cut off Hamas, with the exception of Qatar, and Qatar now says that they will step in and help offset some of the immediate costs from the people who have been unemployed by, from the Hamas government. But aside from Qatar, they all have isolated and, and worked against it, and now they see uh, Hamas being given a new lifeline. Certainly for Jordan, which is in a very precarious position, this is not a good thing. This is a, a further exacerbation of the problems that they have, both from the influx of a uh, million and a half refugees from Syria, the internal situation with a population that is uh, more than two-thirds Palestinian, etc., and the activities of the Muslim Brotherhood there, this the idea that Hamas gains, gains a foothold again 
in the West Bank and can operate easily into Jordan as well and become an influence is certainly something that they uh, have to look at with trepidation. Yeah. And for all of us armchair uh, secretaries of state who spend Shvu is saying how ironic Bergdahl is free and Pollard is not, do you see any comparison in the two situations? No, I don't see any uh, comparison, and, and I think that we, we lose when we uh, complicate his uh, status more. I mean, it's just, I thought about him over Yontav. I mean, that this is, uh, I mean, it's such an outrage, and people have asked over and over again now what will be the case. And frankly, we, we just don't know what the, uh, you know, the fact that he was part or his name had come up in, in, the, uh, in the negotiations, whether that doesn't, Further exacerbate the, his status next year. He's up for parole, and that's really the critical, very critical. Uh, Malcolm, one week from today, we will reconvene. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks for joining us in this short week. Shabbat shalom, my pleasure. There he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Even in a crazy setup week like this, plenty to talk about regarding what's happening in this unbelievable world of ours.